Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. This is Marshall Fant with GFA Missions. Welcome to our next podcast of ReChurch. Glad to have a very familiar guest with us, Bruce McAllister. Welcome. Thank you, Marsh. Glad to have you here uh, today. Again, I want to thank Sarah Hartwick for all her work in putting the podcast together and promoting it. Today, very common topic you've had a lot of experience with. I have. We're going to discuss it on both sides of the equation. Common traits among growing churches. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bruce, we want to take this on the positive side versus sure. the, so what yeah. are some things we can yeah. talk about yeah. um, among churches that are growing? I think there's some yeah. common themes, right? Sure. Well, Marsha, thanks for letting me have a part in this today. I think that this session grows out of a little email or perhaps discussion we had a while back. I'm listening to you draw a lot of helpful things from others in these conversations, but uh, you're the usually the person doing the interviewing, and you're and you're guiding it very skillfully. But I think you have a lot to say here, and and especially Marsh in this arena of of uh, common traits in growing churches. So I ask if I could have the privilege to interview you. So okay. and so thanks for being willing to let the tables be turned no, here a little bit great. this morning. This is great. We're a team, right? I mean, <laughs> that's right. Bruce and yeah. I think alike. We work together. Yeah. So sure. All right. So let's so, have at it. Okay. So uh, Marsh uh, brings a great uh, 21 years of experience out of Harvest Baptist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. He's pretty shy about wanting to talk about his own ministry, but I'm telling him set that aside because we need to hear how God, you know, used you and your family in uh, really replanting a church that was down. To very, very small when you got there. I can remember these early days because I was down there a few times over the years and just a blessing to watch God bless and to see things go forward. So by the time you finished up your pastoral ministry there and your son Marshall followed you as pastor there, the church was running about how many people average? 260, 270. Oh, wow. That's neat. And you'd been through what Three building programs? Three building programs, yeah. So um, it's a beautiful place. And Rock Hill's not a large community itself. It's it's decent size, but it's on the south side of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And so you were, what, like 25 miles from Charlotte maybe? Yeah, Charlotte's 2 million people. It's a big triangle. So yeah. Rock Hill was the south corner okay. of that triangle. Right. So we had a lot of commuters into yeah. Charlotte. So when you went there, you were not... Uh, full supported by this church. You were missionary supported, right? Correct. We went out, and, and Bruce, when we finished seminary here, I was called to preach later in life. Okay. So I started seminary at 35, finished at 40. Wow. And at 40 years old and five children with no pastoral experience, no <laughs> church wanted us. <laughs> so University of Baptist Church in Clemson was our home church, and they had helped start a church in Rock Hill. And so there was an opening there, so we started okay. commuting up. And then move there. And it's just God. It's God's timing, God's blessings yeah. on the growing yeah. side of a city. So there have been yeah. a lot of good research on where yeah. to plant the church. Yeah. So we just went in and replanted and uh, piggybacked yeah. on top of some things that had been done. Very okay. grateful for good. that. Praise the Lord. 
Well, you not only have your own experience, which I do want us to talk about in as much depth as you're comfortable with, but now for over a year or so, maybe pushing two years, you've been helping with church revitalization. So you're seeing other ministries plus your own uh, contacts and pastors that you've just known over the years. So your observations not only be a local observation, but also a, a broader observation as well. So as we get into common traits in growing churches then, what would you say would be maybe maybe near the top of the list or something? That's yeah, great. Right. I, think, I think it's the foundation will be preaching and teaching. Okay. I think the as a a struggling church or even a growing church is always demand on the pastor's time. Okay. But I think there's got to be a logical plan laid out to feed the flock because if you don't yeah. feed them adequately and teach them and know their needs, expository preaching and then sermons that meet the needs of the congregation where they are, uh, it's got to be strong enough to hold the people and keep the people mm -hmm. and feed the people. So the pastor's got to be willing to set aside time to yeah. preach. And pray. And so prepare. you were in, in these say early days of mm -hmm. replanting this church. Then am I assuming you're preaching three times a week, maybe three times a week? Okay. And normally Sunday morning be in, in other growing churches that I see, Sunday morning is normally expository. Sunday night can be expository, but on a topic, mm -hmm. uh, instructional. I also think a trait of growing churches on Sunday night, mm -hmm. they celebrate what God is doing, mm -hmm. even the smaller things. They take time. Okay to celebrate that. But yeah, in those days, Sunday morning expository, Sunday night, testimonies, maybe a topical, mm -hmm. going through a series of where the people are. And then Wednesday night was devoted a lot to prayer. We'll get to that in a few okay. minutes as well. All right. So you can work hard at getting people to the building into right. services, but there's got to be enough substance there in the yes. preaching and teaching to hold people, feed people, and help people grow in the Lord or come to Christ, whatever they need. And they need to understand uh, the preaching is primary. It's got to be, the church has got to be built on that. Growing churches are built on the on the preaching of the Word versus a personality. Okay. Now, I know there's some churches that do grow because of the personality of the pastor. I'm not saying it doesn't, mm -hmm. but the focus needs to be the preaching of God's Word versus a big personality. Okay. And I think with that, churches that are growing also spend seasons of time in prayer. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that would be a lot of what I learned and have observed, it comes from seasoned saints and not so much from pastors. Hmm. When our church was very small, under 20, a dear, dear seasoned saint, his name was Roger Every. he's with the Lord now, came to me and he, said, he called me preacher. He said, preacher, this church is going to grow, we need to pray. I said, okay, Roger, I got that. What are you talking about? He said, I mean, really pray. I mean, we need a 24-hour prayer chain on Saturdays, and let's divide it up to 30-minute increments. I said, Roger, we don't have but 20 people. <laughs> he said, Preacher, I will commit to pray for whatever time slot is not filled. Mm -hmm. So we started an annual season of prayer at Roger's recommendation, not mine, to where for one month we took four Saturdays. They're 24 hours in a day, so we had 48 slots for 30 minutes. So we had a prayer time from Friday midnight to the Lord's Day, 24 hours, 48 slots, people praying for 30 minutes. And Bruce, I've seen that in our church, I've seen in other churches, those seasons of prayer, not for so much the physical needs of a person, but concentrating on reaching our community, concentrating on the unsaved, concentrating on the blessings of God on a church. 
So I think growing churches know how to pray. Good. And they have these specific seasons of prayer. I think of Acts 6-4 when you say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the apostles, you know, the church in Jerusalem, it is growing. And they said, we will give ourselves continually to mm-hmm. prayer and the ministry of the word. So they set a priority. It wasn't wrong to do other things. And they delegated those things to what we think were the early deacons. Right. But there's a biblical basis for what you're saying. So the, the way I like to frame it is the work of God moves forward primarily through the word of God and prayer. Or you could mm-hmm. say prayer and the word of God. Sure. And so... I like what you're saying. That's really Yeah, good. I think and what, what I learned from Roger and what I learned through this process is we must teach our people how to pray. Mm-hmm. So my definition of a healthy church is equipped disciples continually making disciples. Mm-hmm. So we got Ephesians 4, 11, 12, equipped disciples. Mm-hmm. So we as pastors equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And I think in Matthew 28 there, what we call the Great Commission, that is ongoing so mm-hmm. equip disciples continually making disciples. So as we teach our people to pray, then give them the opportunities to pray. Yeah. And challenge them to get up at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Because at least in our church, the best Sunday of the year to preach was the last Sunday of the month of prayer, mm-hmm. where people have been setting aside Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, mm-hmm. you know, middle of the night, early mornings to pray. Yeah. And so I think one of the common traits of a growing church is they have seasons of prayer for the unsaved. Okay. Another thing I've noticed with growing churches is that the senior pastor is actively involved in one-on-one ministry and in the community. I'm sure you've seen that, but if the senior pastor is only interested in in studying, that's great, but you got to get out there with people. So let's talk about how you balance those two aspects then. So you're preaching two or three times a week, maybe sometimes four if you have a Sunday school class. Let's say a pastor is full-time. What did you find worked for you in that balance of personal ministry 101 and your preaching preparation and prayer time? How How did that work out practically? Depend on the seasons of life. Mm-hmm. All right, when we had children, I coached in the community. So that was part of my outreach. A lot of the contacts that I still have today from people that came to Christ or either were young believers and we had the privilege of seeing them grow in Christ came through community contacts because of coaching. You had the opportunity to love their children. Mm-hmm. And if you love someone's children, you have an audience with them. The other thing we did was a lot of counseling with the community. So Mm -hmm. one-on-one, those relationships that are built, I would devote four to eight hours a week to either coaching or counseling, but I would make myself be in the community interacting Mm -hmm. four to eight hours a week. Now, that changed because, again, we had kids. Part of that was spending time with your child as well as coaching, Mm -hmm. but whatever, to get in the community. But I think at least four hours a week— interacting um, either in some civic way, but staying before and building relationships in your natural part of life with with the community. So pastors are people and pastors have spiritual gifts and pastors Mm -hmm. have just areas of interest. So another guy might be hunting or it might be fishing Mm -hmm. or, you know, getting in a Mm -hmm. club or a group that does that kind of thing that where it's people he would never have contact with. Otherwise, I do some jail ministry. I I try not to stay overnight at the jail. (laughs) I've gotten out every time I've gotten in, but I'm able to touch people that I would really very likely never otherwise have contact with. And I have a wonderful, you know, ministry. Now, it's not exactly church planning you know, method there normally, but 
I but just, in a jail ministry, you got guards. Yeah. You got people working the counters at those yeah. that see you come in and go out. Yeah. If coaching, you have umpires, you have scorekeepers, mm-hmm. you have groundskeepers, yeah. you have all these people. If we just look, because I'm convinced yeah. God brings unsaved people into our paths, mm-hmm. we need to have the spiritual yeah. eyes to see them. Yeah. But I'm just saying actively involved because as you see the community, that then affects our preaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're not in the community, our preaching is not going to be meeting the needs because we don't know the needs. That's good. So in your scheduling, am I guessing that you would study in the morning, mainly focus on your messages in the morning, get out in the afternoon? Does that basically how it works? Is there just a lot of variety there? Bruce, I'm a morning person. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I I did not meet people for breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Well, you and me are just like on that. (laughs) So my early morning, I'm an early riser. I love my early mornings with the Lord. Amen. So I had my personal time, and then I had my sermon time. Yeah. And I was expository by preaching book by book because I knew where I was going. Yeah. That's just the way I operate. I got to have a schedule. (laughs) Yep. So, yes, morning times rarely would I do anything in the morning other than study. Now, once a week we had staff meetings when we grew to where we had a staff. Yeah. But no, morning time is sacred time because that's where I am yeah. best. I know some yeah. guys are night. Yeah. That's fine. But my late afternoons, when I hit about 3 yeah. till dinner time and then mm-hmm. early evening, those are my times in the community because yeah. that's, when, that's when I'm— So then family time at night, more or less, um, sure. and maybe a little out with the people some evenings, maybe in homes or whatever. Yeah, um, you got to have an evening at home, but, but you got to be in the community Yeah, that's great. as well. Good. All right. How about on the on the financial side? You know, budgeting, priorities, things like this. Did you find any things you felt like you needed to do to focus some financial attention on the local community? Yeah, two things. I think again, I learned this one from a deacon and then from someone else. So we had to challenge ourselves. Um, I think the traditional model that we all see would be missions money is dedicated to foreign missions. But as we tried to reach our community, especially as a church replant, we had to say, we need missions money to reach our own Jerusalem. So we started carving out money, what we call our Jerusalem fund. So part of our missions then would be to fund things like reaching a local elementary school. Um, We went to the school and said, what are your needs? How can we help? And they gave us projects. One school, we sponsored their choir, (laughs) which then gave us their T-shirts had Harvest Baptist Church on a public school choir. So these kids walking through. (laughs) So it gave Harvest Baptist Church a name within the community. Mm -hmm. Um, So whatever way you can choose. And again, it goes to the giftedness of your people. What are their community contacts? Mm -hmm. At one time we did um, discipling for the local crisis pregnancy center. Mm -hmm. Couple need discipling, they would send us them. So that was interaction with the community. That wasn't so much a budget item, yeah. But but I would say we have to analyze our budget. What are we doing? Another thing I, I quickly learned is our budget must cast a vision for where we're going. So I think growing churches, the leadership has spent time in prayer. They understand the community, and they need to know. Okay, how will we impact our community financially? So a deacon came to me and said, "Okay, Pastor, what would you do if we had an extra fifty thousand dollars? What would you do if we had an extra hundred? What about if we had another 150? So he challenged me to use our budget to cast a vision. So it's more of a financial plan. A budget really reflects how the money was spent. A budget or a financial plan with a vision says this is where we're going. 
And especially as a church plant where people, you may not have a building. Or with a growing church, you may be growing it from a very old facility. So you got to cast a vision. Folks, this is where we're going. This is not where we are. And use your budget and your finances to reach your community and and really show where the direction of the church. So the expenditures would be in areas, and I'm just guessing here, uh, you tell me, literature, good, solid, attractive literature, gospel literature, church literature. Maybe church website that is upgraded, or maybe there's not even a church um, website. We can talk about that I area. Know. Let's stop right there. Okay. Okay. Right. So we got to say in your budget what's devoted to your website, especially churches that are growing. They have attractive, interactive, and informative websites. And we did two podcasts just on websites. But you visit a lot of churches, so when you visit a yeah. church, you probably look at the website ahead of time, right? I'm, I'm taking a trip here soon, and I've, I started looking at websites. I know most of these churches. One of them I didn't know that well, and I went to it. And, and I understand the church is doing well, but I have an interest in the church. I prayed for the pastor for many years. He doesn't even know that, I'm pretty sure. But I went to the website, and... It was about a C minus as far as the website goes. I'm thinking, hey, if the church is doing well, they would do well to project that right. in a more attractive uh, But a growing website. church, if you want your church to be growing, let's go to the budget. What's devoted to your website? It is your front door. Yeah. I mean, Google, like it or not, is how people are going to find you. Yep. It's the number one way, would you say, today? How I people would absolutely. Look for, well, to reach people, yes. Mm-hmm. Remember, your website is really designed not for your church people. It's designed for the community. Okay. So your website's got to be built in such a way. And I challenge people when I'm doing church consulting, we sit down and we look at other churches in the area's websites. Say, okay, this is yours. Mm-hmm. Let's look at this church. Yeah. And just to give an idea, yeah. because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But your website, your budget, you've got to devote money. Yeah. And that's part of reaching your Jerusalem. Yeah is having a website that reflects a church that is trying to reach people for Christ yeah. versus a church that the website is not up to date, it looks old, mm. and the next generation, they're just not going to come. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look professional. It does not give a representation of the Lord we serve. Yeah. So I think that's great. So you'd, you'd spend money definitely on a, on a website, good yes. literature, and then projects that may not be, like you said, the, the elementary school. It might not be direct hard sell evangelism, but it's whatever it takes to have a platform in whatever part of the community you're wanting to connect with. Yes. And that takes money. People may not realize. It does. So let me follow up with a couple of illustrations of churches I know that have done that. First, a personal experience. We went to a local elementary school and that was close to us reaching our Jerusalem. The very closest one, we said, what do you need? They needed people to mentor children. Okay, well, that's really not my first preference. I'd rather be have a Bible study in the school, but we'll do that. So we had nine of our church people in that school one hour every week. Wow. That's Good. nine hours of our church people interacting. Hmm. School secretary, principal, hmm. teachers, people started recognizing us. Yeah. And so my wife was one of those. So there was an open house, and the little girl that my wife had been mentoring uh, had some art on display. So she invited Gretchen to come. And so Gretchen said, hey, I need you to come with me. Would you like to go? And I said, no, I, don't, I, I really don't want to go. It's my one night free. <laughs> and then I got under conviction, yes, I need to go. But here's what I learned, Bruce. This elementary school was less than three miles from our church. I'd say yeah. less than two miles. Yeah. I walked in the elementary school. 
I'd been pastoring by this time probably 16 to 17 years in our community. I walk in the elementary school. There were 800 people, hmm. parents and children. I knew 10. Hmm. I came under such great conviction. We've got to do more to reach our community because hmm. these are souls. These are yeah. precious children and their parents. Yeah. And most of those parents need help for parenting, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the Bible's got answers for that. Yeah. So as we worked in the school, as we had our annual vacation Bible school, we had just a huge amount of families visiting the VBS wow. from the school wow. that we had never touched before. Wow. So again, community involvement in any growing church has yeah. got to be crucial. Yeah. Yes, so foreign missions, we work for a mission agency. We, we're all for reaching the world for Christ, so, but it's got to start. But it could even be, a say, a, if you have a staff member, you know, your church grew and you added staff, so it might be that uh, a percentage of that staff member's personal support or his, his salary is actually targeted for community outreach. I don't yes, know, absolutely. You, know, you could do it that way. And, and part of that could be um, back to this elementary school. So our youth pastor who was in charge of youth and children continued to develop a relationship with the school as he did the first day the teacher showed up. He would show up with a box of breakfast biscuits. Harvest Baptist Church, we love you. Thank you for your ministry. So the next teacher work day, he shows up again, more biscuits. Hmm. And then he did this. He had people in the church write each teacher. So each teacher, at the beginning of one year, got three letters from people at Harvest. Thank you for loving children. Wow. We're praying for you. Good. And Bruce, the emails and the thank you notes yeah. from people we don't know. Yeah. But the church's name, again, we're right near this school. Those teachers have influence. Uh, I'll give you one more illustration. None of this is original. You got that? We hear other people mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. As a church consultant, one thing I'm an advocate of is a demographic study of your community. I was challenged to do that, and I said, no, I know my community. But I did anyway. Mm -hmm. Little did I know what that would help me with. Mm -hmm. So one thing we did, we we took our area, our Jerusalem, and we went into schools, met with the guidance counselor, made an appointment. And one of the facts was, look, this demographic survey says that 22% 22% of the families in your school have family conflict. Would you agree with that? And to the one, the counselor said, no, it's much higher than that. Hmm. So we would leave a card and say, look, we offer hmm. family counseling. We offer parental guidance. If somebody's looking for a faith-based alternative, here's our card. That's correct. And Bruce, that meant so much to the guidance counselor, the hmm. fact that we would reach out like that. Yeah. And actually, so we got family interaction Again, from simply reaching out and touching our community with the gospel of Christ. Because if we passionately believe the Word of God is alive and real and changes hearts, we need to be out there presenting. Amen. All right, so Bruce, how many, how many have we gone through so far? Well, three or four. You mentioned Gretchen and the, you know, your wife is a, is a skilled counselor and yep, is, she uh, has a background in education. She's outgoing and so forth, though she was a very busy mom during the, most of those years at Rock Hill. So what about women's ministries? How does that fit into the, the church growth or men's ministries for that matter? I think both have to be in there. 
So let me reverse and answer okay. your question. Now, right. the churches you're in are majority women or men? Uh, they're all going to be majority women. Okay. As far as I, far, I think it's 60-40 typically. Okay. I, I women agree. to men. Because uh, yeah. so, they live longer and they're more spiritual. Okay, yep. right? So, <laughs> so I believe growing churches have both healthy men and women's ministries. But what, what I found a common thread among growing churches is the women's ministries are active in supporting one another. What I mean by that is you have older women ministering to younger women. I've seen churches that have almost like adopt a younger mother program. Okay, and some of these ladies do it naturally, mm-hmm. but our society is more transient. So grandparents may not live in the same city yeah. with the grandchildren, but their older grandparents in churches that are there. And there's nothing like seeing a grandmother take an interest in a mom and grandchildren that aren't hers. Mm-hmm. And boy, you know what women's ministry just, I, I, I think some of this is intentional, trained, mm-hmm. and some of it should happen as a result of the training. But I think there needs to be an ongoing place where women, um, I, I know a lot of counseling takes place in the nursery as a mom comes in mm-hmm. with, you know, yeah. frustrations. Yeah. and. But I'm talking about a, a specific women's ministry where women can go for help. They can go to have somebody pray with them. They can have somebody take care of the kids for a while where they can go out and shop. Um, but women must be trained in the Word of God to study it for themselves in order to effectively, you know, the women are to manage their home mm-hmm. to do that. And I think I want to wrap up this particular podcast talking about men's ministry. So what have you seen men's ministries and growing churches that are that really work well? Well, I think a pastor taking interest in men is where it starts. Okay. And I worked with a pastor in a church plant, a growing church plant. It was 300 people in seven years. It was a solid church. And he would take men to lunch. That was his initial way to get things going. And the church would budget for that. Yeah, right? it would budget for it. It's, okay. it's the best investment you can make, especially if a pastor has a heart to do that kind of thing. Or you know, a pastor or a pastor and his wife taking a couple that visited the church for the first time. I mean, how many people have a pastor take a personal interest in them as, say, a stranger, a newcomer to the church? Or at all, mm-hmm. you know, a businessman where a pastor says, hey, what's God doing in your life? How can we help you? And just have a nice, friendly lunch. I mean, just financially, that's as good as if an investor, if that costs $50 to go have that nice luncheon, or 60 for that matter, or 30 whatever it is, just think about the dollars and cents of it. If that person stays around, you don't have to wonder if that's a good investment. But it starts there. And then it just grows out from there. What have you seen? No, I agree. And in fact, I learned something from your pastor. I know him. And I went and asked our men uh, to give money so I could take men to lunch. And my goal, it never happened, but to work through the membership once a year. So if I could sit down and have a lunch, how you doing? You yeah. know, what's going on? How can I pray for you? Yeah. I love you. I love your family. Anything I need to know about. And then also, we would also get together two or three men if we noticed that they had a common I don't know, let's say they were passive or they weren't leading their home or mm-hmm. we would do a book study together over lunch. Okay. Yep. And I think the other thing with men's ministry that I found was so important is pairing men up to pray on Wednesday night. Yeah. I am an advocate of being, having accountability partners and have the same person pray with each Wednesday night. Okay. And I think that helps iron sharpen iron. There's an accountability factor. And, and I think that helps a lot. But growing churches do have active ministries 
where men and women can personally grow in the seasons of life they're in, whether it be young parents, teenage parents, empty nesters. And I think, Bruce, what we need to do is continue this in the next podcast. Okay. And so we've covered this part. So is it all right with you if we pick sure. it up on the next Let's one? Let's do it. All right. Thanks for listening to ReChurch. Again, thanks to Sarah for putting this together. So this is part one of the common traits among growing churches. And we'll come back and do part two in two weeks. Thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.